Hi everyone, I'm John Offord, I'm a broadcaster based in the UK and welcome to Different Minds, a podcast series that looks at neurodiversity, the different ways our brains can work and interpret information. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Timo, the award-winning visual planning app designed to support routine and time management. The app empowers users to schedule visual routines that work. Users say that Timo can actually help reduce stress and support executive function. Head to your app store and type T-I-I-M-O into the search bar to learn more. So today we're going to talk about mental health and how to stop overthinking. I'm delighted to be joined by psychologist, speaker and writer Gwendolyn Smith all the way from New Zealand. Gwendolyn specialises in depression, anxiety, work-related stress, worry, social anxiety and PTSD. Gwendolyn, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. How are you? So tell me, it's been an extraordinary year for everyone. How has your year been? Well... It's it's been extraordinary, but uh, I guess the thing with with the mental health profession is that we were able to switch to what in New Zealand we call telehealth, so in other words, virtual consultations. And um, just speaking of the brain, I mean, it was interesting because I see seven patients a day, and when I switched over to Skype and Zoom and FaceTime and all those things, I found my brain was really tired and uh, I needed to cut down to five clients a day until my brain adapted to the whole different um, style and approach and requirements of of, uh, concentration that telehealth sort of... uh, Create so kept working right through our lockdown, but um, like I said, in a very different way. Absolutely, I must say I can hear bird song in the background, which is absolutely beautiful. So um, it, it sounds like a, a great place where you're working at the minute. Yeah, it is. It's lovely. Brilliant. So, Gwendolyn, what what have you learned about yourself then during lockdown? Would you say? I don't think I learned very much. I did write another book, though, John. Yes. Uh, just to pass the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, on that very subject then. So tell us how did your new book come about, uh, The Book of Overthinking? Yeah. Well, I had a lot of success with the book that I wrote that was geared towards the um, teenage young adult group called The Book of Knowing. And that was just became a bestseller. And I thought, okay, well, what's what's the next thing that I see the most in my clinical practice? And I thought, worry. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. And the clinical term for worry is generalized anxiety disorder. That's that's the term, the right. clinical diagnosis. Right. And I thought to myself, well, who's going to be commuting on the train or the bus or the whatever, you know, holding up the book of worry in front of their face? So I thought, I noticed that younger people call it overthinking. Yeah. So if I say to a young person, 
do you do you think that you worry? They'll say, no, 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 I don't worry. No, mum worries, mum worries, but uh, I don't. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, do you overthink? And, of course, that's what they call it. So I thought that the book of overthinking was more accessible, people aren't embarrassed, there's no stigma attached Mm -hmm. to the phrase. And um, so that's how it came about, John. Really interesting. So I guess the all-important question then is, how do we stop overthinking? By the book would be one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you're aware that that's, that's quite a complicated question. Yes. But, I mean, the first thing I would say is that, um, and this is how the book starts, is that there is no point saying to yourself, stop worrying, stop worrying, I shouldn't worry, this is silly, Um, I shouldn't worry about this, I shouldn't worry about that. That absolutely doesn't work in the same way that if I said to you, um, okay, John, now while I'm talking, I don't want you to think about camels, Mm -hmm. imagine camels, see pyramids with camels, National Geographic covers with camels, Whatever you do, I don't want you to think about camels. I can't get camels in my head now. Yeah, yeah, full of them, full of them. And so what happens is, and this comes out out of the literature, is when you say to the brain, stop thinking about that, the memory wakes up and the memory goes, stop thinking about what? What did you say you wanted me to stop thinking about? Camels. Are you absolutely sure that you want me to stop thinking about camels? Yeah. So you see the memory reactivates and, um, you know, goes sort of looking in the way I've just illustrated. And so it, it actually wakes up and attends more to the camels than before you said, stop thinking about the camels. Yeah. I understand the book is based on cognitive behavioural therapies and it, and it obviously deals with like key areas of your life, you know, from your personal life to relationships to work. I know you, your book talks about specific uh, strategies to help you address some of your issues. I wonder if you could just tell us a bit more about that. You know, cognitive behavioural therapy has, has got a, a depth and a richness to it. But just in terms of, of your listeners, John, I think that one of the most powerful tools that I use in my clinic yep. and is uh, tucked into the back of the book is a little system that we call flashcards. And they're simple little phrases. And these days, most people put them on their phone or you could put them on a little piece of card in your wallet And they're little phrases and you look at them for between 10 and 15 seconds and what you're trying to do is um, kindle new neurological pathways in the brain. So whereas overthinking is a habitual form of thinking but it takes you down an unproductive and despairing spiral The flashcards are a way of breaking 
that spiral, for instance, I'll give you a couple of examples. Mm, um, because worry or overthinking is, is the um, ongoing prediction of disaster, that something terrible is going to happen. Yeah. And for people who experience a lot of fear, I get them to use this one, which is I'm scaring myself with my own thoughts because all of these things are imagined. And when the brain goes looking for an answer, how is this thinking true? How is it helping me? Where is this thinking taking me? For instance, with the how is this thinking helping me, the brain will come back with, well, actually, it's not. So you're not saying you shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't think about camels. You're saying, okay, this thinking that you're doing, how is it helping? And clearly it isn't. So that breaks the loop. That's quite a nice one. I mean, I also teach people about the superstition that's involved with worry. Worry is a superstitious behavior. It's right. like throwing salt over your shoulder or tapping a piece of wood. Yeah. Um, it, it does, thought doesn't change anything. It doesn't create anything. It's just that thought that's inside your head and doesn't exist anywhere else. Are there any positives of overthinking, Gwendolyn? When I started the book, it was a bit of a chore, actually, the beginning of this book, because I thought, well, is there positive overthinking? Is it all negative? And so what I ended up labelling it as is worrisome overthinking. Because, of course, you could say that, say, if someone was planning a special event or a wedding or a prize giving, something like that, they would think and think and think and think and think and check and check and check in the build-up to the event. They're enjoying it, it's exciting, therefore it's not problematic. When overthinking becomes problematic is when it's all about fear. That's the difference. And then with fear comes the biochemicals associated with the fight-flight mechanism yeah. And then that's when you start to get the physiological problems, e.g. ulcers, irritable bowel syndrome, sleeplessness, etc. So when it's fear-based, it's problematic. When it's not fear-based, it isn't. I know that you've experienced mental illness yourself. You've dealt with severe bipolar um, disorder as well. I wonder if you could just tell us about your own journey that you've been on. It's a funny one, bipolar, because if you're an extrovert and um, lean towards the slightly eccentric side of life, which I've always had, Mm. um, I think that the the hypermania, which is not the really crazy stuff, it's just the six out of ten crazy, um, just goes is sort of accepted as being part of who you are or your personality or, you know, you know, Gwendolyn, she's always a bit eccentric and she always has these big do's and she, you know, book launches and all that sort of stuff. 
And even I remember I, I was out having dinner with a bunch of psychiatrists, friends of mine, mm-hmm. and someone said over the dinner table, are you going to go on lithium? And I said, what for? <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, this conversation came up about me being bipolar. And I said, well, you know, if that's the case, how come, you know, it hasn't been addressed before this? And this, this group of friends of mine sort of looked at each other and it was, um, well, we've often talked about it and we just sort of thought, well, you seem to be okay and all the fun would go. And, uh, but it was only when my illness started really sending me over the top you know, psychotic, delusional, out of touch with reality. Yeah. Once it got to there, well, there was there was no doubt. It wasn't just slightly eccentric, hypermanic gurglings. It was a full-blown manic psychotic episode, and I had three of those. And because of my friends, the first one, I was looked after at home, mm-hmm. but... The last two, the last one being in 2013, um, it got to the point where I was just too unwell and had to be sectioned under the Mental Health Act and go into a psychiatric unit. Right, so you are um, incredibly kind of open and candid about the depression that you've experienced. And uh, I just wondered what you thought were some of the, the challenges we need to deal with as a society because ultimately um, there's still a lot of stigma that, that, that is around in terms of mental illness. I was the founder of, of the National Destigmatization Program here many years ago. Um, I'm not associated with it now. Yeah. The use of celebrity um, clearly is, is very popular and does seem to be effective. Like, if I think of your wonderful um, Stephen Fry, yeah, I mean he's done enormous amounts because he reaches Absolutely. so many people. Absolutely. Um, when he talks about his bipolar and you know is associated with with the groups you have over there, mm-hmm. so I think the use of celebrity is a powerful one. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that more people are. We'll talk about it. Yeah. You know, like people now, if they sort of say something, say, oh, yes, well, of course, you know, my mother, my brother, my uncle. I think that, I think in a weird way, John, that COVID mm-hmm. um, has, will have shifted a lot of this stuff because I listened to the results of a survey um done in the UK. Yeah. And um it was saying about the increase in numbers of people suffering from depression, etc. Yes. As a result of the lockdowns. Yeah. Well, you see, in the introduction to my new book, I pointed out that people that weren't didn't experience worry before you know, that weren't overthinkers have started. I mean, I've noticed a couple of things um, since the lockdown. 
One is um, obviously people with obsessive compulsive disorder. Yeah. You know, it hasn't helped. I mean, there they are trying to stop washing their hands till they bleed. Um, And and everyone's saying, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. So people with OCD have been aggravated by it. The, the whole overthinking thing of people losing jobs or this or that, you know, that worrying about their kids going to school. Yeah. And the other one I've noticed is I've had some clients who it's, it's activated um, post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, e.g. one client I was thinking of, her stepfather right. used to lock her in a cupboard under the stairs oh. having sort of beaten her and leave her in there for hours and so with the lockdown she couldn't go out she was locked inside so the emotional memories of being trapped and powerless as a child started flooding back and she started having panic attacks so that that was interesting um how it's affected people Mm. Yeah, really interesting. So, do you, do you think the um, what, what do you think about media representation of people with uh, mental health conditions? Uh, do you think they play an important role in kind of demystifying some of the conditions, or do you think they kind of sometimes play into the the stereotypes? It's a lot better than it used to be. Um, I think the media obviously has a part to play. You know. And um, and it can be extremely constructive. But you see, over here, um, because of our extraordinarily high teenage suicide rate, mm. um, the media legislation was passed, so the media was gagged in a number of areas because what the concern was is that the way the media were covering it at the times about 10 years ago, um, they were then linking it to copycat suicides in teenagers. So, um, yeah, so they really put a lot of restrictions around how the media can present things like this. So I can't hear, I can't think that we've had any really sensationalist tabloidy type stories about mental illness um so the whole thing does seem to be a lot more compassionate yeah that's that's really good to hear and on that and i I read an article online where you were interviewed and you were talking about the importance of the five pillars of mental health um <laughs> can you remember what they were john yeah, must have been. you talked about the fact that you contribute that you love helping people that you love your work that you love to laugh and have fun and you place a lot of value on friendship and uh, you you were just talking about those being really important and um, values um, and, and pillars in terms of your mental health because i don't have children i chose not to have children friendships, of course, take on a a different value because you're not busy, you know, doing things with your own family. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I think of the 
the number of sort of very severe manic depressive episodes I've had, um, I can't imagine. I mean, it's a very lonely, mental illness is a very lonely place to be. And so to come out the other end and know that you've got friends and particularly now that my friends know that I've got this illness, Mm. uh, people are just, you know, a lot more sensitive. Like, for instance, I like to tease my my bestie girlfriend. Like, if we go on holiday, she's got a, a home over in Rarotonga. Yeah. And if we go on holiday, I quite like delight in saying when we get off the plane and we're going down the driveway to her beach house, <laughs> I like going, oh, no, Sylvia. <laughs> I think I've left my medication at home. <laughs> you should see the look on her face before she realised I was joking. Because, you know, being stuck in the middle of a Pacific island with no lithium was not going to be a fun holiday. <laughs> yeah. So obviously humour um, uh, plays a big role, doesn't it, in kind of um, just the way that you see things in life and, and just trying to make the the best i guess oh humor's great Mm. i mean see it's interesting with any therapy the literature says that 50 percent of the success of a therapeutic relationship is the establishment of the rapport so you could be using gestalt you could be doing a you know some sort of psychodynamic psychoanalytic approach or cbt whatever yeah but if you don't grab that patient, you know, grab them and sort of link, you know, like really establish a connection with them, then the therapy sort of is going to fizzle. Yeah. And, um, and the way that I find that really cuts to the chase it's it's simple, it's fun, and that's just to um, get people laughing. And with the young ones, because like since the Book of Knowing came out, my practice is full of, um, well, 50% full now of teenagers and young adults. And um, the easiest, you know, way... I've found with the bulk of them is you sort of sit and you listen and you let them get a bit comfortable. And then I might, I don't know, I might drop a pen or do something and I'll just go, fuck, you know, (laughs) instant friends. Oh, look, look what she's just said. Wow. Okay. This is, this is a bit cool, you know, and, um, they like it because, you know, you can see them, you can see them laughing and giggling and, you know. And the other thing I've got in my office, which is really working brilliantly, is a um, they're called sensory-weighted toys and they come from the weighted blanket yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've got a little dog. He's very cute. I've called him Herb as in nature's alternative relaxation technique. When the young ones come in, you can usually see, you know, they're quite anxious. 
and, and you, you could see it maybe in their chest or they've got their hands around their waist clutching their stomach. Yeah. Um, and I'll say, um, are you feeling a bit anxious, love? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, would you like to meet my co-therapist? So I pick Herb up, the dog, and he's about three and a half kgs. And the, the therapeutic value is in the weight of the toy. And yeah. so then I say, where do you feel your anxiety? Is, is your stomach gurgling? Is it, have you got a tightness of chest, shallow breathing? So then they'll tell me. So then gently I'll just sort of move over and I'll say, well, look, just, just, just put herb up there on your chest. Nice. And honestly, John, it's like magic. Wow. It is like magic. I, I just can't believe how well it works. And so when they, then when they come back, yeah. depending on what sort of day they've had, they grab herb from under the bookshelves and settle in with him. Wow, that's, that's really, really fascinating. That is uh, so interesting. Um, Isn't it cool? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So they, the blankets, of course, you know, like kids anxious at night and that sort of thing, but they've got a whole range of fabulous toys and they're being used quite a lot um, with the autistic spectrum and also for trauma. Wow. That's super, mm. super fascinating. We're coming towards the end of the podcast, Gwendolyn, but I've got a couple more questions, if that's okay. Yeah. Uh, the first one is, I just wanted to ask you, for any, if any of our listeners uh, are listening to this podcast and maybe they are struggling at the minute with their own mental health, what, 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 what advice would you, would you say to them? Oh, dear. Um, well, you see, I guess it really depends what it is. I mean because the stats from that study that they've just done over there um, with the mental health manifestations of COVID was depression. And, and if someone's got, has really been taken over by, by quite a serious clinical depression, mm. um, the first port of call really is medical, mm -hmm. uh, e.g. medication. Uh, no one likes that thought, but, uh, you know, having spent many years of my life on antidepressants, I'd rather be on them than off them. Yeah. Um, and, they, and they really do help. Yeah. If it's something like what we've been talking about, John, which is worry slash worrisome overthinking, yep. when, when I wrote the book, I've written it like the second half of the book are like little therapy sessions. So I thought to myself, well, not everybody can afford to go to a psychologist. Yeah. Not everybody is in an area, you know, in a region or a village or something like that where they could even access psychologists if they could afford it. And with that in mind, that's how I divide it up overthinking so that you know in the second half of the book you come into a therapy session with me and I go through the structure of about five or six therapy sessions as if I'm talking to the reader mm -hmm. you know so it's it, it's a bit like um 
sort of virtual therapy, but through the pages of a book. Yeah. I'm really, really interesting. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, and the final question, um, Gwendolyn, is if you, had, if you had chance to give your younger self some advice, what, what would that be? Did you say we were running out of time? or yeah i mean what if you if you you could just take your imagine yourself as a little girl and knowing all the the experience that you have now well what would you what would you say to your younger self oh john honestly (laughs) i i really don't know how to answer that in uh in one sentence what would i have done um tough question I was watching part of Stephen Fry's, one of his series on mental illness, and he spoke to some people that have been through some dreadful, dreadful things, you know, um, as a result of being manic and and, um, things that had happened. There was only one person out of all the people he interviewed that, that had said, if I had my time again, I want it without this illness. Yeah. And everyone else said, no, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't swap my life. And although it's been, you know, there's been times, particularly when I was in sort of the sort of maximum security units because I was so badly behaved, yeah. um, there's, there's just something about the... It does give you a richness, John. It's, it's, I'm not recommending it as a learning curve, but when I think of how many people I've helped with my books, how many people I help in my practice, um, a lot of that ability to empathise and establish that rapport I was talking about earlier mm. does come from the fact that I wear two hats. That's really good to hear. Well, Gwendolyn, thank you so much for speaking to me today. I really appreciate your honesty and humility and and, and talking through your own personal experience. And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, John. You too. And and just a reminder that the book of overthinking, How to Stop the Cycle of Worry, is available in all good bookshops. Um, and have you got a website we can we can we can follow you on, Gwendolyn, as well? I do have a website. Yeah. I'm not very active in terms of putting stuff on it, though. No worries, no worries. Yeah. But um, I'm guessing. But yeah. yeah, GwendolynSmith.co.nz Thanks again, Gwendolyn. Appreciate talking to you and you uh, you take care.